Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm good, Conrad. Hope you're well. Things are good here. It's colder than, than hell here in uh, Oklahoma, where I am. Uh, so uh, I apologize to all the fans for the lack of video because I'm in, I'm, I haven't set up. Shivani set it up for me in, in Jacksonville Beach. I didn't have a Shivani here to hook this thing up uh, in Oklahoma, but I got a computer company going to come by and remedy that issue sooner than later, hopefully today. Uh, so I apologize, but all this goddamn dragging and clicking and you know, drag <laughs> this over there, put this over here and add your, your number, add now add your pa- password, now reconfirm your password. Jesus, God almighty. So I uh, don't have video today. Probably a good thing. It was a late night. Late last night in the gangland hideout of Frank Nitty, uh, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, we'll do, we'll, we'll knock this thing out. So it's going to be a hell, this is a hell of a show, hell of a topic today. Uh, but in any event, I also, uh, am, uh, uh, excited about, uh, what did not happen at the Super Bowl. I picked the, the, uh, picked the Steelers. <laughs> I picked the, uh, Chiefs to cover. Well, obviously that did not happen, but I also had a disclaimer, Conrad, if you recall, do not use this information for gambling. <laughs> generally, my ass is wrong. And man, you, you know, you talk about, I wonder what's the reasons for all this <laughs> flatness for the Chiefs. You know, they, they, they flew down on Saturday. Yeah. That's highly unusual. Yeah. Now, it may be okay for a regular season game, but I never heard of such a thing for a, a Super Bowl, for sure. I also understand they're trying to battle COVID and be careful. Uh, and that was a miracle that the NFL got the season done. So, uh, in any event, it was, uh, it was a disappointing game to me. I, I thought it was, I was not, it was, I didn't, it didn't flip my switch, Conrad. How about you? Yeah. Listen, I was happy with the result. I was hoping for a more fun game, but, uh, I thought that Tom Brady would win. I didn't think he would win like that. I didn't think that the chiefs would, uh, not make it to the end zone. It was a weird, weird super bowl, but. I enjoyed it and, uh, I'm ready for next season, man. I'm, I'm really a little sad today that football's over. Football is over. My friend, unless you get out your little portable, unless you video game it. Uh, yeah, it's over. I, I, I too am sad because football's over. Uh, and uh, we don't even have the XFL look forward to this season. So where, where are we? Right. We're, we're in a, we're in a football wasteland. Um, but I, I just, I thought that she's this came out when they didn't have success early. It seemed like they, they just checked it in. Yeah. It didn't seem like they were clicking. And then, and certainly when you're missing your two offensive tackles in the super bowl and you're starting backups, uh, to, to have pressure on, uh, on, uh, uh, the quarterback, Mahomes, it's not a surprise, but right. that's what they had to do to win to keep him uncomfortable. And they sure as hell did. They hit him all day. So I, I, I just thought that I should have thought about that a little bit more. I didn't do enough research on, uh, you know, the, the game itself. I just thought with Andy Reed, two weeks to prepare yeah. Mahomes, it's hotter than hell. They got all these offensive weapons. You know, I thought, well, maybe going down on Saturday is a smart idea that they get away from a lot of the distractions. They sleep in their own bed at home for all week, except for that one day and or two days, Saturday and Sunday. So I don't know. I just. It, 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 more often than not, the Super Bowl in my lifetime has not lived up to expectations. Right. 
some have been absolutely brilliant games, obviously. We all can recall those. But more often than not, it doesn't seem like they're stem winders. It doesn't seem like they're just, you know, we're, God damn, this is on the edge. I'm on the edge of my seat. Right. Because I have to be honest with you, Conrad, I fell asleep in the early fourth quarter. Yeah. Well, I, I, I dozed off, man. I was hosting uh, a couple of, uh, my dad came over and Cassio came over and Silva. So I had three folks over to watch, but it was, so I didn't fall asleep, but yeah, we were talking about other stuff because it was not the competitive game we were hoping for, but we are excited about a competitive pay-per-view. We're going back 15 years for this one. One of the more controversial shows and, uh, people who recap our show for all the news sites, they're going to have some quotables from Jr. today. I'm sure. It's no way out 2006, the road to WrestleMania 22 stopped at the first Mariner arena in Baltimore, Maryland on February 19th, 2006 for the eighth annual, no way out pay-per-view. It was uh, a SmackDown only event. There's 11,000 fans in attendance that night. It's a sellout. This is back in the pay-per-view era. So 218,000 folks bought it on pay-per-view the buy rate for no way out since 2001 had fallen every year. It was 575 and 02, 450 and 03, 265 and 04, wow. 240 and 05, and now 218 and 06. Not this a good pe- trend. No. Not a good trend. You know, Conrad, I said this many times in this show. Uh, all pay per views are attraction driven. Right. All of them MMA, uh, rest, pro wrestling, whatever it may be, they're all attraction driven. And the obvious thing is that to find out why these numbers fell so drastically is to go back and look at all the attractions. Now I thought this main event on this show was outstanding, but for some reason it did not resonate to the consumer. Don't know why, you know, I don't know what all was going on at that point in time in our world, but nonetheless, uh, it was a hell of a main event and a Kurt angle and the undertaker but it did not sell pay-per-views for whatever reason. So it's always, you always go back to the, uh, to the attraction and, you know, like every booker I've ever worked for, every owner, cowboy, all those guys, you know, we just didn't have what they wanted to see. Right. Vince says, he said that to me a million times. Yeah. We just, we missed, we didn't have what they wanted to see. And so that's kind of where we are with that. I, I it just didn't seem like it was a, and it didn't, you know, we had so many things going on and, and all that, you know, Eddie's situation you'll talk about, I know, but golly, uh, it's just, that's a, that's a drastic, that's a big miss. All I can say. Well, when you see the trend like that, you know, obviously if we're looking at a chart, it's down, down, down. I mean, it's almost like how low can you go? And yeah. you know, this is one of those deals where I think fans online, start to sometimes point their finger and say, ah, oh, Vince is out of touch. Vince has lost it. When you see a trend like this, I mean, I know you said, oh, it's the attraction, but on some level it comes back to creative, right? I mean, that's what you're always talking about. The well, cash a, and creative. Yes, absolutely. The, the, uh, the, we didn't have what they wanted to see because we didn't provide them the right creative. Yes. That's what it was. I mean, come on. The creative drives the boat there and, uh, on these pay-per-views and other uh, re- pro wrestling events. It's always about a theme or, a, or, you know, uh, something like, you know, it's got, is there's a reason to tune in and, uh, and we didn't give them good enough reason to tune in obviously. So creative, uh, oh, you know, they, they were 
overly optimistic that this is going to work. This card was going to work now. And it just didn't, it just didn't work as far as pay-per-view buys were concerned. As far as the show is concerned, different line of thought here from me, but I thought that the, uh, I just think that we just, we missed on the main event and, and, uh, for whatever reason, maybe the, maybe we missed on the undercard. Hell, I don't know. We'll talk about it as we go through. We can analyze the hell out of this thing, but that trend is, is scary, scary, dangerous. No doubt about it. Let's take a look. The, uh, the main event, as you mentioned, is Kurt Angle and the undertaker for the world title, but what everybody really remembers is the feud between Randy Orton and Rey Mysterio. Just a few months after the unexpected death of Eddie Guerrero, here we are at the Royal rumble and Rey Mysterio has dedicated his match here to Eddie. And before he could get his title shot at WrestleMania, he has to have some sort of threat for him at the pay-per-view before WrestleMania, because that's always what happens. So now that Eddie has passed away and Ray has dedicated the Royal rumble to him and Ray won it. Here comes Randy Orton on SmackDown to tell Ray that Eddie's not up there in heaven. He's down there in hell. (laughs) This is supposed to be heat, but dude, it just felt disgusting. What was your opinion of the whole Eddie's in hell creative? It didn't work. and And it was distasteful. It was the wrong kind of heat. If you can understand that you can obviously, but you know, there's, there's money drawing heat where you want to pay money to come see the, he'll get the shit beat out of him, which is a great theory and yeah. great formula. Uh, that's what you want to do. If you're a great heel, you want people to sit in those, have an ass every 18 inches so that they can boo you and hopefully uh, cheer when you get your ass whipped. Uh, that's the, that's the, that's the, the rhythm. That's the, 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 the whole, whole dichotomy of that formula of pro wrestling. The, the heels are the key guys, right? You gotta have a baby face. You believe in won't quit on me, but the heels are the guys that, uh, are the straws that stir the drink. And, uh, I don't know who the, I don't know who the heel was exactly. And but we'll talk about that with, with Kurt and, and undertaker, but it was a little different feel quite frankly. Uh, but yeah, I didn't like that Eddie thing. The Eddie Eddie's in hell. I thought it was a reach. It was knee jerk. It just. It just was distasteful. And that's the wrong kind of, that's go away heat, right? Go away heat. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to hear this anymore. Go away. heat is not beneficial for anyone, but I thought this was very distasteful in that respect. And, and I understand it's fiction and I understand what, you know, Randy, no, I understand. I get it. You did. You get it. Our, our listeners get it, but it was, it was a wrong, we turned, we made a wrong turn on the road to get to the destination. Let's talk about some news and notes heading into the uh, show. Um, elsewhere report. The company is opening up a new 12 man department in house in charge of marketing the pay-per-views and the 24 seven service. They'd been working with team services, which are specialists in that field for years. Team services has also been working with UFC in recent months that had started to become a source of minor jealousy combined with a feeling that if it's easier for them to have a problem to have the people in charge, change it in house, as opposed to having to set up a meeting in New York, time will tell if the outdated pay-per-view commercials will come into play. The commercials are done so far in advance that often they advertise the wrong thing on no way out. Even as late as showtime, most of the commercials were listing Batista versus undertaker as the main event. And Batista went down months ago, a lot to unpack here. As a reminder, the UFC starts to get hot just about a year prior to this, 
and now their business is starting to take off. Did Vince, I mean, and, and by the way, it's worth mentioning the old way of doing these pay-per-view commercials had been outdated for quite a while. Do you think that's really the push and the reason for the adjustment? Or is it more about, Hey man, the UFC's pay-per-view is doing better and ours is doing worse. We need some new help in here. Well, uh, you can look at it that way, certainly. And you want to improve your system and improve your infrastructure on promoting any event, whether it be the live events when they were in operation or a pay-per-view. Uh, you know, you, you've got to have all your system in place. So improving the system is not a bad idea, but it's still going to come back to the bottom line. So Stone Cold would say, uh, it comes back to the attraction, right? Did, do we have the card, you know, uh, that, uh, that was going to sell and wrestling fans are very, very smart, especially in today's age with all the information on digital and so forth and so on. If they wanted to see that they, they knew about this show. If they watch raw and SmackDown, they were aware that there was a pay-per-view coming up from Baltimore, uh, with Kurt versus undertaker as a headliner. So I just think that it comes back to creative. It really, you know, it's cash and creative basically run the whole damn show quite honestly. And we just, we fumbled, we fumbled in the red zone. We didn't, we were as inept in the red zone as pay-per-view as, as the chiefs were in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's talk about the Eddie thing a little more, because this is a really controversial thing at the time. And so much of the news, when you read the observer, it's really just covering that angle. Uh, Mick Foley had something to say, and he actually wrote to Meltzer. Um, Mick Foley wrote more about the Guerrero situation. He said that, uh, if he didn't write it, he's doing a column on the website, which would be a joke. Plus he's been having trouble sleeping because he's still holding on to his thoughts on the angle. He said the explanation on the February 10th SmackDown where Orton said he didn't really mean it, but was just, just said it to force Mysterio to put up his title shot, allowed him to rationalize what happened the week before, but just barely quote, I'm still not in favor of the whole scenario, but I'm going to sit back for the next few weeks and see how it plays out. Making the situation worse is the fact that the February 3rd SmackDown Foley watched with a young Mexican American child who was sick in a hospital. He sensed the child was upset by the show, watching Mysterio's promo, where he constantly brought up Guerrero's name and then got worse. When Orton said Eddie's in hell, he was uncomfortable watching it, particularly as a representative of the company that was doing this and Orton's line literally only made it worse. Foley said he had set up appointments to change his will and made it clear that it was not a joke. If he meets an untimely death and, and anyone at the time cares, it will specifically state what he would have wanted. So there will be no arguments. He said the main point would be that it would be fine for the WWE to put on a tribute show, but he would not be fine with anyone putting on memorial hardcore shows. Even if promoters meant well, he would not like for his name to be used to push any wrestler or used for any angles. This is uh, something people don't really think about or talk about, but it is something that becomes part of a storyline. I mean, not that long ago, uh, Paige and Charlotte had a little bit about Charlotte's brother who passed away, Reed, and it was very controversial, not unlike this from 15 years ago. What do you think about one of the boys speaking out about this? And then they even going so far as to say, I'm going to put it in my will. Well, I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed with it. I just don't think, I think it was a topic that we didn't need to broach in any shape, form or fashion other than. If, if Ray wanted to, and the and creative wanted Ray to say, 
I'm dedicating this match to my, my late friend, Eddie Guerrero. Uh, okay. I get that. But to go into detail about wills about uh, what I, what it seems to me like we're trying to cover our ass there. We're trying to backtrack a little bit. And I think we've got into some deep, deeper water than needed to be quite honestly. It's pro wrestling. It's don't, don't, it should be relief. It should be, uh, uh, you know, where you can, uh, a release, if nothing else, creative release, set and enjoy the show without having to deal with, uh, continually talking about one of the most popular guys and one of the top stars in the world, uh, passing away prematurely. I don't see where that creates anything positive. I'm a big believer in pro wrestling creative, not including, uh, religion, uh, or, uh, politics, that type thing. And this fits in one of those categories somewhere where I don't want to say it's politics, but it was just, we traveled to it. Like I said, a road earlier, we traveled this road that we didn't need to be on. Right. And once you get down it so far, it's kind of like, you know, well, now what, you know, right. we're, we're We've created something negative and I don't understand how that would be how that would be a scenario where I want to engage that and pay money to engage that because I know it's going to be a little bit depressing because we're going to, this Eddie theme is rampant throughout this program. So are this, this, this pay-per-view. So I, I'm not a big fan of that stuff. I, I just, I just think it creates the wrong image and it creates the wrong vibe and the wrong feel. And uh, if you want somebody to spend money with you, Conrad, that's like ad, the ad free network. You know, we do great business on our ad-free network because it's a hell of a hell of a, uh, a bargain, and you get so much content. Uh, but it's all positive, right? You know, you don't pay your money to join Conrad's pod free ne- or ad-free network to 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 listen in misery. <laughs> other than me butchering the English language. By the <laughs> way, I saw something online the other day. I saw a thing. And of course, it's funny. Fans are loyal as hell, and I love them for it. This guy wrote this article about, you know, is it time for JR to leave? And here's 10 reasons, or here's the reasons he should stay. And here's the reasons he should go, oh. blah, blah, blah. And, uh, so, you know, he's, and a lot of it was age, ageism issues. Uh, but you know, I hear that every day in that regard and it's negative as shit. Uh, and it hurt, kind of hurts your feelings when you, when somebody that's uh, a fan says, well, let's look at the reasons he should be gone. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah. You know, it's, I don't. I think we're overthinking that a little bit. I think we overthought this angle with Eddie on, on this pay-per-view. Is it, I mean, obviously it's lack of creativity, but you know, sometimes comedians say there is a stance from some comedians that say, oh, if you have to do blue humor, meaning if you have to use foul language, it's a crutch, you know, you gotta be able to be funny without that. Well, I'm sure somebody in the back thought, well, this is heat brother. Uh, but this is also a crutch. Is it not? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a crutch and it's a lack of creativity. Yeah. Uh, it's just a lack of, uh, we didn't have anything better. So this is what we came up with, you know, personal issues draw more money than titles. Of course they always have, they always will. And that's not me, not knocking That's me, not knocking titles. Cause that'd be silly and, and irresponsible. But, uh, I don't know, man. I think that, uh, we really missed the boat on that deal. And the more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm wondering how the hell do we how this happened? How do we, how do we get here? And why, why, why did we even start this journey this way? So, uh, but the, the personal issue, it's like saying, well, we want to do a personal issue. Well, okay, good for you. That's a great idea. But the way they presented the personal issue about saying Eddie went to hell. Yeah. 
uh, really? What are we thinking? Let me we ask. Weren't thinking, we weren't thinking much. Let's talk about his wife, Eddie's wife, uh, Vicky. Um, Mysterio was interviewed for the Baltimore sun and he said, it's hard to hear what has been said by Randy. Uh, Randy had, uh, or Eddie had such an impact on the fans, on the company, on the wrestlers. He was loved by everybody, but I think the most important thing is that his wife has a lot of say in this. If she's comfortable with all of this being done, she knew Eddie very well. And I think Eddie would want this to continue as long as it could quote. I think he's up in heaven and he's enjoying every single moment. And when Ray was asked about the Dominic angle, he said, it did concern me a little bit as to how he was going to react because it was such a strong storyline, but I think he handled it very well. He liked the acting. He liked the drama and he liked the business. And it showed me that maybe one day he'll be in the ring. And of course, Ray was correct. It all worked out for Dominic. Uh, very cool story there that it's sort of come full circle, but I want to circle back to the Vicky talk because that's really what Bruce Pritchard has sort of hung his hat on over the years that they were talking to Vicky about this. Who was they in that situation? Who would have been the person tasked with communicating with Vicky? All right. Now, you know, your husband who just died, well, we're going to say he's in hell tonight. Is that all right? Well, that's Vince, obviously. I mean, that's big decisions like that are blessed by the old man. So I would think that, uh, Vince would have been the one to make that uh, call. Uh, you know, he may have had Bruce or somebody else with him, uh, which is not unusual and, and nothing wrong with that. But I think that Vicky was just very leery to, to disagree with a major creative element of this pay-per-view right. and didn't want to cause any ruckus. And, uh, and she was working there or she wanted to work there. I don't know what where she was at that exact time. But, you know, she was looking at work and she's looking to be able to feed her girls and her and take care of their overhead and all those things. So I think probably the deal there was, I'm not so sure Vicky just embraced it. I don't know that she didn't or did. I didn't, well, I wasn't in the loop on that deal, but the issue there is that, that uh, I think maybe she was trying to protect her own, uh, potential job offerings by not creating any waves. That would be my take on it. Vicky's such a wonderful person still is this very day. Uh, you know, we love her when we see her at AEW events and our Wednesday night shows on TNT, you know, she's sweetheart to be around and all the other women that work there love her. She's a great, uh, uh, sounding board for them. She's mature. She's got, you know, she's got, she's seasoned. She has, has a great resume and track record. So she helps us in AEW a lot in that regard. But, uh, you know, I just think that probably she was just a little bit leery of rocking the boat and didn't want to piss off the old man. Let's, uh, let's keep it going here. I want to talk about how this show was received because it was a great reception, uh, 79 and a half percent thumbs up from the readers of the wrestling observer, 14.7% thumbs down 5.8% thumbs in the middle. So 79% is overwhelmingly positive. Uh, the best match poll, it was a runaway for Kurt Angle and the undertaker. They thought the worst match was JBL and Bobby Lashley. Meltzer would say there weren't any big surprises, but an excellent main event with Kurt Angle and the undertaker paced a strong, no way out pay-per-view. Uh, of course he would be critical of all the race. If we're going to get into that, this show though, had a dark match with boogeyman and Simon Dean. 
Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen. <laughs> wow. That's a stem wander, ain't it? <laughs> Talk to me yeah. about... Uh, I mean, these are two very capable performers, uh, beloved yep. by their coworkers. Um, but boy, these are some, these are some gimmicks to go back and look at. Are they not? Yeah. Yeah. It, well, look, the boogeyman had a, you know, Vince liked the character, uh, creators seemed to like it cause it gave him a lot of, uh, unique options to focus and profile a wrestler as this boogeyman, uh, you know, Marty's look and his, uh, his mannerisms and eating worms and all that crap was, uh, Vince thought that was funny. He thought that was very entertaining. Simon Dean was there because he was a solid hand who, uh, was fundamentally sound and he could do no wrong as far as helping, uh, the boogeyman get over if that was possible. And, but nonetheless, it wouldn't be Mar- It wouldn't be Simon Dean's issues because he was going to carry his share of the water in that deal. So that's why Simon was booked in that match. But I think it was booked more than anything to showcase uh, boogeyman rightly or wrongly. I think that was the reason. Absolutely. I mean, boogeyman is, um, it's a, it's a, you got to remember the context of who's attending these shows. The boogeyman is a character that is going to appeal to little kids. And so when you got little kids in the audience, well, here you go. Uh, let's keep it going here. Um, before the first match, Michael Cole starts talking about the history of wrestling in the building. He said it was this building and it's three highlights. And I kid you not where Billy Graham beat Bruno San Martino for the WWE title or Tito Santana beat Greg Valentine for the IC and where Vince McMahon beat Stephanie in their only singles match. And that's directly from the observer, but boy, that tickles me that we're lumping all those major events together. And this is where Vince beats Stephanie. <laughs> Well, it's an attraction match. It's, you know, there's, you have to understand the difference in an attraction and, and are not. And certainly, uh, Vince and Stephanie was so unique. You know, it's one of those great things that Vince loves and the WWE seems to love is first time ever, first time ever. Well, first time ever doesn't mean shit. It means you haven't seen it before. If it's a pile of shit, it's going to be a pile of shit that you've never seen. And, but the match was so unique. And so bizarre that, you know, the, the, it's like driving by, it's like watching NASCAR, you know, Vince and Stephanie, you know, they actually put on, had a inter, very <clears throat> interesting performance based on both their skill sets and their skill levels. Uh, I didn't have a problem with that whatsoever. It was half-assed entertaining, but it was an attraction match. It wasn't going to be, you know, Dory jr. And Jack Briscoe, right. You know, it wasn't going to be stone cold and the rock or somebody, but it was a unique match that. Like NASCAR, you, you, you watch to see the wrecks and th- there were some wrecks in that match, but it was interesting enough that people were going to talk about it and hopefully tune in. And, and that seemed like uh, that was, that match was okay. You know, in that respect, <clears throat> but I don't know, man, I, I'm not big. Uh, I'm just not big on, uh, intergender stuff, <clears throat> part, even pa- father and daughter intergender stuff. I just didn't, 
it doesn't work for me. And that, that doesn't mean intergender stuff is wrong. It doesn't mean that I would never want to call one. I'll call whatever you put on the monitor to the best of my ability every time out. But it's just not something I've, I've perceived to be very realistic. Uh, and I just don't may any, any sort of even simulated male on female aggression, i.e. violence is a no sell for me. Because if you got to stop and explain to your kids or your little girls watching or whatever, that this is only showbiz, they don't, they don't hate each other. It's all, it's all, you know, it's all a show. Uh, if you got to stop and explain all your angles and why something's going on, it's not well booked. All right. You should, you shouldn't have to do that. It should be self-explanatory. But so anyway, that's where I was on that, uh, piece of business. But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't think it was, a, I don't think it was a systems issue that we needed a new staff to promote these shows, which is not going to hurt nothing. I agree. But the reason the show was, uh, so did so poorly. And that's the buy and the bottom line is the bottom line. Yes. It did 200 something thousand buys for God's sakes. Whereas a few pay-per-views earlier is doing half a million. Yeah. You don't take an accountant, uh, to figure that down, that, that equation out is it's not, it's, it's a loss. It's, a, it's you're losing here. Something's not right. And I think that was what the situation here. We just didn't have the card that they wanted to see. And the undercard didn't seem like it had a great deal of momentum or must see stuff. I guess the, uh, uh, Ray and, and Randy stuff was the closest thing to that underneath. Uh, but like you, we, you said, you know, Meltzer's uh, response from his listeners his, his fans had 150 of them saying that that was the best match on the card. And it was a, it, like you also pointed out, it was a landslide win, right? It was overwhelmingly the number one match on there. So they liked the main event, just not enough of them liked it. Well, the reason I brought up the whole, here's the matches that Michael Cole mentioned is it's weird that sometimes the WWE thinks they own wrestling. And then other times they think if it didn't happen here, it didn't happen. Because this is the same building where Sting beat Ric Flair to win the NWA title, but they're not going to mention that because Sting is on the other channel, um, or at least flirting with it. It's just fascinating to me that you know we 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 have a weird. Sometimes we acknowledge history, sometimes we don't approach from WWE. But let's acknowledge the first match here on the pay per view. It's a cruiserweight title, and Gregory Helms is going to retain here. It's essentially a battle Royal, uh, with a first pinfall stipulation, Scotty, too hottie, Paul London, Brian Kendrick, Funaki, super crazy psychosis, Nunzio and kid cash are there nine minutes and 42 seconds. Meltzer would say people weren't much into this. Uh, the bad news is that it felt like a battle Royal, which doesn't televise well, but the good news is it was a really good battle Royal. Of course, hurricane is really the focal point here. Um, ultimately. Helms knocks crazy out of the ring and jumps on psychosis to steal the pin after, uh, a series of maneuvers here where cash was on the other side, including, uh, getting a uh, brain buster on psychosis and then a moonsault onto himself. So two and a half stars is the rating. This feels sort of throwaway. You know, you got all the talent in the world here. I mean, some of the best in ring performers of the era are here. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, but when you've got this many guys in the same match and you give them nine minutes, it feels like, okay, we know these guys can do some spectacular stuff. So let's put them on first, but we don't really have a story for them. Just go be athletic. 
Yeah, no, the story is a, is a key thing. You know, uh, Gregory Helms was a great uh, cruiserweight champion. Uh, he always represented that title well, gave it some credibility. But the, the bottom line of going into this match, Conrad, is that the title was not over. And there was no long-standing, well-developed personal issues developed uh, in, uh, with, with all these other cats in this match. So it was a cold match. Uh, fighting for a cold title. Uh, and so the, you know, Helms did the best he could to always in, in going forward to make the title mean more than it normally did. But, you know, I don't know. You, you see where the cruiserweights, you see where the cruiserweight situation start uh, has, uh, how it changed it. Ne- that title never got, if it was over Conrad, it would be featured right now today. It's not over. Right. It wasn't over. And we were trying to get something over that just wasn't there. And, and in order to do that, you know, hurricane need to be with a really good wrestling heel, uh, that could be a dangerous threat to his championship and create a personal issue out of that, not dilute it with a multiple uh, entrance into this match. So it was just not presented well in that regard. Those guys did work hard and there was some really good talent in that match. There were you know, really good high spot guys. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big believer that the title didn't carry the load there and there was no personal issue. Right. So when you're devoid, both of them are missing. That's what you get. Let's talk about, um, JBL and Bobby Lashley. Oh, you know what? Before we do though, the Mexicals, I'm sure you have an opinion about that. Uh, we have psychosis. We have Hooventude. We have Super yeah. Crazy, dressed in uh, coveralls, riding lawnmowers to the ring, and we yeah. call them the Mexicools. That's not that's not racist. <laughs> Just oh, Jesus God. If, it feels like if if we didn't have bad ideas, we'd have no ideas at all. Yeah, I've heard. That's right, man. Well, it's just again distasteful. You wouldn't do that today. We shouldn't have done it then. Uh, yeah, it was not. It was distasteful. Didn't. And look, the other thing about that too, is you get the same thing with these, uh, Mexicals, you got a very highly skilled group of guys that are very talented in the ring, but they don't, they can't communicate as well as you would want, uh, with the majority of your audience. In other words, I'm saying they don't speak adequate English to convey verbally convey their messages so that you're back in the same spot you were in this, in this uh, first match for the cruiserweight title. You got a bunch of guys in there that again, didn't mean anything. They weren't given any mic time. If you can speak English and you don't get mic time, it doesn't matter. Does it? Right. Is that like, is that like the tree falling in the forest and is, is anybody hear it or what are they all? It's crazy. So I, I, I wasn't look, I didn't dislike the Mexicals. I, who would the hell would have liked, you know, what, what's their, their lawn people. It's so, it's so, uh, caustic in my view, because it, people are going to look at the glass half full in a situation like that. And I, that was another, it was cheap heat yeah. at best, cheap heat at best. The next match is JBL pinning Bobby Lashley in 10 minutes and 58 seconds. Um, this actually started an interview with crystal Marshall that she was doing with fit Finley. Finley's upset. He's not on the card and wants a fight. So he kidnaps Marshall carries her to the ring. She's acting scared, but. She's the one who wanted to learn wrestling and he seems to be the best teacher. 
That's directly from the observer. Uh, Lashley, of course, runs into Saver. Finley beats on Lashley when JBL arrives in his limo. He ran not particularly fast to the ring, and Lashley started to get an advantage when JBL jumped him, and the match was on, and it was mostly bad. He gave it three quarters of a star. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't seem like uh, Meltzer was ever really high on JBL's work. Uh, but the idea behind this, according to the observer, is uh, JBL hits a clothesline on Lashley for the pin. It appears the idea here was to set up Finley versus Lashley for a house show program. And the idea behind this is it's Finley's one-on-one nightly tutorial sessions with Finley's job to teach Lashley how to be a worker. I really like that, especially if you could showcase it on TV and sort of explain why these guys are working around the loop because it gets him the reps with somebody who's a capable teacher. what do you think? Yeah, that, that, theoretically that was okay. It didn't, it didn't hurt my feelings, uh, at all. So, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, the styles make matches and you got two power guys in JVL and Bobby and Bobby was very, very green. He was not the Bobby Lashley that we see today. Uh, he had a lot of wrinkles to work out, which anybody does at that, at that, uh, where they are, you know, and there's their, their lot in life at that point, as far as a pro wrestler is concerned, I thought JVO made a very good champion because he was the kind of guy that could, uh, win by hook or crook. He had enough abilities and, uh, significant abilities. As a matter of fact, as on a promo, uh, on promos in general, that he could talk his heat back onto himself. I thought that was important. And he's a kind of heel that was so obnoxious and overbearing that you would literally enjoy seeing him get his ass whipped. So he had all the, all the boxes checked there. So I, I don't have the opinion that Meltzer has of, uh, uh, of JVL. I thought he checked all the boxes of what you want a heel to be. And, uh, and I thought he did a good job. Uh, if you'd have told me when we hired JVL back in the day that he would someday be the champion, I probably would have had a, a debate with you because I didn't see it at that time, but as he got better and he worked hard to get better, I thought he became a very viable heel. Let's talk about the, uh, the next match it's Matt Hardy and, uh, Tatanka, and they're going to beat Eminem in a non-title match. 1028, uh, Meltzer right. It appears Tatanka is getting the spot formally earmarked for animal Tatanka got no reaction as a surprise for his partner or for his comebacks. Michael Cole was going off on what great shape Tatanka was in. Well, he was in great shape for a guy who looked to have about a 41 inch waist, but he looked thick and powerful. Even at the age of 44 match was okay. They got heat on Hardy and then on Tatanka Molina then thumped or thumb Tatanka in the eye on the floor and nitro came off the apron with a drop kick to him. Hardy makes the hot tag and it ends with Tatanka doing the Samoan drop on Mercury for the win. And then, uh, Hardy gave nitro a twist of fate and Meltzer would say this sets up a mid card tag title program star in three quarters, dude, Tatanka. What, what can you tell us about Tatanka coming back here in 2006? Just trying to recapture lightning in a bottle, seeing if something might work. You know, he'd been gone for long enough to become fresh again, allegedly. Uh, but you know, he, we didn't do a lot for him to, to, to build momentum, him being a surprise and it, uh, it, it undershot its, uh, his, his goals. You know, uh, 
I don't, I didn't remember Tonka being in bad shape whatsoever. Uh, but you know, everybody's got their opinion. Right. But, but he came back cold again. This is a, we've used that term now about three times in the show already. Yeah. But you got matches with no backstory, no momentum. Well, we'll do the surprise, uh, you know, first time ever. Oh, geez. Stop my pain. Uh, but anyhow, uh, I thought it was, uh, I, I, I just think that there was just, you know, Tatanka got a, Tatanka got, he didn't get any build. He got nothing except a surprise entry entry. And, uh, you know, and again, WWE, they had at one time when I first went to WWE in 93 and I did WrestleMania nine and Tatanka was red hot, red hot, but that was 13 years earlier. Right. So it shouldn't be a hard figure a hard thing to figure out. It was just too long. Did Vince have a soft spot for him? Yeah, I think so. I think Vince liked Tatanka, you know, Tatanka was a Vince creation and, you know, totally, totally manufactured in WWE. Vince seems to always have a soft spot for guys like that. And I, I think that's a good trait, quite frankly, but the issue is is that we, we overshot at that point in time with no buildup. Tatanka's value and what he was going to mean to the audience when they saw him and Tatanka with, uh, Matt Hardy kind of was left-handed anyway. Right. You know, I want, I want Jeff Hardy, but if I'm going to see Matt Hardy in a tag match, I want him with Jeff. And I think a lot of the audience felt the same way. Do you remember what happened with animal Meltzer references here that perhaps this was originally supposed to be animal spot? Uh, not really. I, you know, it's going to be cash or creative. Without a doubt. So maybe he didn't get the money that he thought he should have, uh, you know, Joe, Joe Laurinaitis. And, uh, that also seemed weird. Matt Hardy with Tatanka and Matt Hardy with animal kind of fits in the same kettle of fish to me. I still want to see Jeff Hardy, nothing against Tatanka or, or animal. Right. It's just, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's a good fit. It wasn't a good organic fit. Uh, so, but I, I'm assuming, I don't remember the, the details all those years ago. That's been uh, 14 years ago now or 15 years, 15 so. years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, but normally you can hang your hat on the one answer cash or creative was the stop gap or the, or the thing that stopped the, uh, something from happening. Talents either want more money or they want to more, I guarantee you that their creative is going to be at a certain level which also feeds back to making more money. So cash and creative is probably the reason I just don't know all the, uh, the, the details of it. Let's get to the next match. It's Chris Benoit beating Booker T to win the U S title in 18 minutes and 13 seconds. Meltzer would say they stalled before the match. Uh, Booker said he was injured and is going to forfeit the title. Benoit told him he didn't want the title that way and told him to be a man. Charmel slapped Benoit twice and was leaving. With Benoit distracted, Booker jumped in and we're off. Uh, Booker's were actually working the match with a legitimate groin injury. And, um, the match gets three and a quarter stars. Uh, the finish sees Charmel take a bump off the apron. Benoit puts Booker in the sharpshooter and then moves into the cross face for the tap out title change. They make a big deal out of the title change. And, uh, I think it's important that they do things like this. Meltzer would write. All the baby faces plus Pat Patterson congratulated Benoit on his win. 
He hugged Chavo and Vicky Guerrero and told Mysterio go win it for Eddie. Nice little moment here. I understand some of our listeners can't enjoy a Chris Benoit match, but these guys, when we're talking about Benoit and Booker T, they've had natural chemistry going back to the WCW days where they did that famous best of seven series. You guys even tried to recreate that here in WWE. I thought this was a good match. what do you think? I did too. I enjoyed it. I thought the three and a, three and a quarter stars was, uh, appropriate, uh, both two veterans, uh, two old pros and Benoit and book. Uh, I enjoyed the match. You know, they, they give you great work. They worked hard. They worked snug. They were physical. They told a nice story. And so, and it was, and the Eddie content there was not offensive to me, you know, with Benoit talking to Vicky at ringside and all that good stuff and, uh, hugging Chavo and winning for Eddie to me, that was okay. I didn't have a problem with that whatsoever. Kind of liked it actually, but, uh, nowhere along that did they say Eddie's in hell. So, uh, I, but I, 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 I thought it was good, good match, two good guys. Uh, and I, like you said, due to the last 24 to 48 hours of his life, some people just, uh, do not want to engage in a Chris Benoit match. Uh, I'm sick about what happened. Still am still can't believe it really can't. I really, really can't. Uh, but it didn't take away from the. It doesn't take away from me enjoying Benoit's in-ring work where he was a different guy. And uh, I, I always will respect Chris for his work in the ring, but certainly the, his actions of the last hours that he was alive, uh, you can't defend. It's just, you know, just sickening. It's not good. And uh, it's hard to even talk about, quite frankly, especially when you're somebody who was in my position that, that had a great relationship with Nancy and had seen Daniel grow up his entire life. Uh, and you know, I hired Chris, I believe, I believed in Chris Benoit. I thought he was one of the best workers in the world. When we hired him, I thought we got to steal. And I didn't give a shit that he was five ten. I just, he could go, he was a buzzsaw. And, uh, but again, everything is pales in comparison to what happened at the end of his life. Let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, the next match, man. There's a lot going on here as we're, we're trying to build to this main event. Of course, we know it's Ray Mysterio and Randy Orton. I don't know, man, this has got to be top five worst, worst, like things WWE's done creatively or angle wise. I don't mean like, oh, I didn't really like that. I just mean disrespectful, distasteful. Off-putting maybe is the right word, mm-hmm. but Ray and Randy is really the main event of this show. And I know Kurt angle and undertaker are going to go close really strong with a phenomenal match. And we're going to get there, but this Ray and Randy feud started back at the Royal rumble Mysterio, of course, won the rumble match and a world title shot at WrestleMania 22. Of course, he last eliminated Randy Orton. You know what that means? We've got to have all oh, his shots in jeopardy. And here it is. Mm-hmm. But the way we double down on it, as if a title shot at WrestleMania isn't enough, we got to bring in the Eddie thing. And it's all because Ray had dedicated the Royal rumble and the title chase to Eddie Guerrero. So Randy drops that famous line and boy, everybody just starts chirping online and everywhere else. Meltzer would write backstage. He said that he only made the comments to get inside Mysterio's head and he did not know or care if Guerrero was in hell. And Orton later entered the arena in a low rider to further explain his actions and read an excerpt from Guerrero's book. 
cheating, death, stealing life. Uh, but Mysterio attacks him, drop kicking him into the steel uh, ring post. So we're continuing to build the story here, but it does feel like they recognize they went too far and tried to walk it back a little bit. Would you agree with that? Well, it's obvious they were, they were backing their steps up and, and retracing where they've been after realizing the feedback they were receiving. And I think even from some staff members, I think Vince got feedback from everybody, just whether he asked for it or not, that it was a little bit uh, risky of doing something along those lines, playing with people's emotions in a, in a, in an arena that you can't win in. And I think that's kind of where we were there. I think a lot of people thought it was distasteful. I think then the company went back to try to repair the damage, but it was already out there too late. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, again, you, you can make, you can justify if you're Bruce or anybody else, well, you know, it's just showbiz or whatever the case may be, but sometimes in WWE and other wrestling promotions I've worked in the personal side of somebody's life is, is just not, uh, taken into consideration. And I think that was one of those situations. I can't imagine that that happened to me and Jan was at ringside with my two daughters, how they would react. And even though somebody said, well, you know, it's a work. JR would love this. He would love this. No, he would not love this. You idiot. What is there to love about it? Well, because it came out of Vince's head and we don't want to piss him off. Yep. That's where it, that's where it is. And, and, and look, I love Bruce. I've known Bruce my entire professional life. It seems like, but that's, if he could, he would say that. I think we just didn't want to cross the boss. Things might be different today. I don't know. Don't care. Hope they wish them nothing but great success. I surely do, but that just didn't make any sense. So I think trying to, as they say in Oklahoma, lick their calf <laughs> was what they were doing and just trying to repair some damage. And I'll just, like I said, too little, too late. Let's talk about, uh, the match itself. It feels like it's a blood feud at this point. I mean, I'm just, I'm trying to take your title shot and, and what you dedicated to your best friend. And now I'm telling you that he's in hell. So of course, when they start the match, Orton starts working on Mysterio's arm. I, I don't, I mean, listen, Randy Orton, my God, probably the best performer in the business right now. Sir, I know you probably can't say that, but he's near the top of the list, but my goodness, yeah, he's, he, he's there in that conversation. I don't have a problem saying that. I mean, I am also loyal to AEW because they pay me, right? That shouldn't be hard for people to figure out. Of course they pay me. Somebody asked me on Twitter this weekend. Who's your favorite NFL team? Duh. The Jaguars. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. How could it not yeah. be? Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the con family pays me and the, uh, I, I'm, in, I'm under their employee and I love my work because I'm still working in wrestling and I love that. Uh, so yeah, I, I just, Randy's amazing. He, Randy's amazing, you know, and he's, he's always had those, uh, those great instincts. And when we hired Randy, he was in a very magical class, man. Orton was in there with, with Cena and Lesnar, Batista. Shelton Benjamin and all those guys are players. They're all players. They could all realistically with the right buildup be in a WrestleMania main event. And most of them have, uh, so anyway, I think that's, yeah, it's just, 
It wasn't good, man. It's just, I try, the more I think about this, the more I'm getting more pissed off that we even, that we did. I'm glad that Michael Cole was calling that match and not me. Let's, uh, let's tell everybody, at least this was a good match. As far as the yeah. in-ring work, you've got two very good, capable performers. They do an electric chair drop, uh, standing on the middle rope, which is a big deal. Mysterio reverses it into a sunset flip power bomb. Uh, the fans are chanting Eddie, uh, Mysterio does the Guerrero dance. And, um, Orton's even bleeding hard way. I mean, they're doing everything they can to put on a great match and two of the all-time greats. Eventually, um, the finish is sudden Mysterio hits a drop kick, misses a three, one, nine or three, one, nine, six, one, nine. And, uh, Orton schoolboys him and he's holding the ropes for the pin. So yes, Randy Orton has beaten Ray Mysterio. I can't believe this is real. And after the match. Uh, we follow Mysterio to the back and all the undercard baby faces are all sad for him. He goes to Chavo and Vicky and says he let him down. And, um, they told him he didn't because he tried his hardest and he said he didn't. And he blew WrestleMania three and a quarter stars. It's hard to imagine. This was the original plan. Is this one of those swerves for the sake of a swerve? Because nobody would call after the whole Eddie's in hell line. Nobody would call Randy winning, right? Yeah, it was a, it was a, to do the shock, shock finish. Uh, I, I like this. I love, I love, I love this match. Uh, Randy and Ray were, you know, is 50, they were 15 years younger than they are today. They did a phenomenal job in that match. Uh, Orton, you know, uh, picked out a body part, which was Ray's left arm. I love that. It's a foundation. You wonder why did, why does JR always talk about working a body part? Because it creates a foundation for your match. If you hurt somebody's left arm or right arm or whatever, uh, then you got, got something to go back to the weakened body part doesn't heal in a matter of seconds, just because you're inside the ropes, uh, it still should be sold and, and focused on and so forth. <clears throat> so, uh, I like the fundamentals of that. Uh, you know, as we've pointed out, Conrad, Randy is a magnificent heel. Randy's one of the best. But Randy has got to be considered one of the top two or three heels in the entire business. Yeah. So, and I say that in all due respect to pro wrestling, uh, not for company allegiances. Uh, so, but you know, he's just, it was just a great, it was a it really a good match. And I, and I kind of like that finish the referees down on the stomach counting shoulders and he's not seeing the hand grasping the ropes right. to give the heel, the additional leverage it takes to win the match. So I, I liked the match. I thought those guys did a hell of a good job and it wasn't their call to incorporate Eddie's in hell. They were following creative orders, orders from headquarters, if you will. So, uh, but boy, I, I liked the match. The only blemish on it was that, uh, Eddie's in hell thing. Well, now it's time for our main event. Uh, the uh, previous Royal rumble pay-per-view, we saw angle defeat Mark Henry to retain the world title. But when the match was over undertaker came out and issued a challenge to angle for the world heavyweight championship. And here we are, these guys get plenty of time. Meltzer loved it. And he gave it four stars. He usually didn't. We've just recently covered their matches from the year prior. And it felt like every time angle wrestled undertaker, Dave was not high on it. He gives it four stars here. So whatever it was, something clicked. Uh, and Meltzer would say that the match started slow, but they pull out all the hot spots here. 
uh, angle is, um, doing whatever he can to get the pin on the undertaker and undertaker is kicking out of these angle slams left and right. And then he does another triangle choke and angle teases tapping. They do a spot where the ref lifts angles arm and it goes limp twice, but not the third time, which is a little old school. Um, eventually of course, uh, we get a finish and Kurt angles victorious. I think a lot of folks probably assumed undertaker was going to win this one. So is this two swerves, if you will, back to back, do you think on the pay-per-view? Oh, the first one certainly was the one we talked about with Randy going over Ray after Ray won the Royal rumble and was headed to WrestleMania in the main event. Uh, it got, it got nothing else. If Ray was, was able to go on to WrestleMania and, and, and win the title which would be an amazing accomplishment for a guy, his size and WWE, especially, uh, then you got a built in opponent in Randy because Randy's already proven he can beat Ray, even though he cheated to win, he proved that he can still, he got his hand up. Uh, but you know, I don't think it was, I don't think this was a swerve. I don't see it that way. Undertaker's a made man. He's Teflon. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a, you, you have a hard time diminishing his image. And, you know, here we look back at it at, uh, you know, 15 years later, and I'm sure that if, if fans had their way, depending on the, who his opponent was going to be, but you'd want to see Undertaker at WrestleMania, you know, he's still popular. He's still over. He'll always be over. So losing to Kurt angle, who was the world champion, uh, is not a disgrace or a, a, a bad thing. So, uh. You know, I, 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 I liked the, I like this match. I mean, I think the fans voted and that's the best feedback you get Yeah. for the paying customers. It's not from me or you cause hell we're going to like most things cause we're, we're wrestling fans, unabashedly wrestling fans. So, uh, anyway, that's, that's where he was there. And, and, uh, I, I just, I just enjoyed the shit out of the match. What I liked most about the match is they're showing that the undertaker knows a little bit of MMA, you know, we know that we've seen him at UFC events and, and he certainly tried to get submission movers like hell's gate and things like that over. And here he's trying to pull a triangle against an amateur wrestler. And that, and that amateur wrestler knows what to do and, uh, gets his shoulders pinned in the process, but while teasing, Hey, I might actually have to tap out to this. Oh, but wait, we're still doing wrestling. Here's your pin. Hmm. I mean, I think of all the guys that you could put in there against Kurt angle and say, well, we're going to work more amateur style. We're going to work more shoot style, man. Undertaker probably wouldn't be in your first 10 picks, but he pulled it off here. Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a big fan Conrad, as you mentioned of MMA. So he'd studied it. Right. And it gives him a finish that he could use on anybody. That's right. Big guys, small guys, whatever, without too much wear and tear on taker or, uh, his, I mean, I'd rather be in that, uh, finish as, uh, to be given a, a last ride. Oh, for me. sure. Yeah. Or you a know. choke slam. Yeah. Any of those things where you're, you're getting slammed on your spine, uh, would be, I'd prefer that over submitting to the, uh, uh, the submission, but taker was a student of that, that genre he still is big MMA fan. So I it didn't, I knew he was working on it and you know, we, we both were, he and I were both big MMA fans that was one of the topics of our conversations quite often. Uh, and I went to, I've been to some MMA shows with the taker there. So, uh, I knew he had a general, a better than average 
uh, awareness and education to the uh, to the uh, uh, to that hold and MMA in general. So it seemed like it worked out pretty good. Uh, and I did. I would not have been for Undertaker submitting. I wasn't ready for that right now, personally. Uh, but the, the but I thought the, I thought the uh, the way that it went down. You know, the shoulders are down. You know, uh, maybe it's a brain fart for Taker, whatever you want to say, how to give him an out. But the bottom line is, is that he was so focused on submitting angle that he slept for a second and his shoulders were down for three. In three seconds, it's not very long. It's kind of like uh, some of my relationships. <laughs> what do you think of the uh, the business evolving a little bit? I mean, is this... Is this more about the undertaker trying to adjust his style to, you know, a, um, I don't know, one that's more conducive to a long career because he's getting up there in age, even 15 years ago. I mean, people were talking about him retiring in 97. Well, here he is nine years later, still rolling, still in the main events is him adjusting to these side of MMA maneuvers. And as you said, you know, it's a finish he can give anyone. Is it more about that or is it more about, Hey, let's try to educate the audience about MMA because all of a sudden the UFC is getting hot and we do have a legitimate wrestler here. Let's introduce triangles and arm bars and things like that, that maybe haven't been staples in pro wrestling, but we can legitimize them now because they see it ending fights on another channel. Yeah. It's, I think, uh, submissions are, are becoming more and more popular. Because they were, it, they were being utilized on a, obviously a, unless you get knocked out or, or you get too many strikes, you, you can't continue in an MMA fight like in USC. Uh, you know, you show you how the business has changed just, you know, a few weeks ago, we had one of our best one-on-one matches in AEW with, uh, uh Dax Harwood and uh, jungle boy, uh, Jack Perry. Yep. I thought their match on TV was just frigging phenomenal match of the week. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, the smaller courageous, never give up Ricky Morton, like babyface, uh, made the heel submit. And I'm not aware. I'm sure maybe there is, I'm not sure of anything, but I'm not um, aware of how many times Dax had submitted before he did there, but there, you got a top guy who got it. He found himself into a, uh, unattainable hold submission hold. And he either had to suffer something to break in his body, which takes him off the line, takes him out of the game to heal, or, uh, he taps. And I thought that finish was just beautiful. So we're seeing a lot more of that now where submissions are being, uh, more, more utilized. It used to be that in the old territory days, one of the house rules was that you rarely, rarely ever had, uh, a baby face submitting. It's just for whatever reason, the, most of the bookers who are former baby faces themselves perceive that as a weakness or a big chink in the armor. And, uh, so I think, uh, I just think the times have changed using that, uh, hardwood and, and jungle boy illustration, <clears throat> but I wasn't ready for, for undertaker to, to give up, go back to WrestleMania 13, Bret Hart gets Austin in a submission. And Austin's bleeding like a pig and he passes out. Ding, ding, ding. He couldn't continue, but he never said I quit. He never quit. He just, his body gave up on him and he, and he, he went unconscious. 
same, same basic formula, Conrad, if you know what I'm saying. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's just wasn't time for Tucker to submit, but I, I like the finish uh, with a, it was kind of an old school finish. You know, he, this, the shoulders are down. Oh shit. I can't believe I kept my shoulders down and right. I got counted out and I've lost. So anyhow, I, I, uh, I, 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 I like the finish. I like the finish. I love the match and I just wish more people had watched it. So the boys could have made more money. Let's talk about Kurt angle here for a moment. First of all, I want to mention, we've got the new Kurt angle show anywhere. You enjoy podcasts. It drops for free Sundays at 6 AM, but you can get the shows early and ad free with video over at adfreeshows.com. Hell, goddamn video <laughs> drag they, over here. Drag. I got something you can drag around. Okay. Almighty. Come but on, man. Kurt's only with yeah. us six more months and then he's out of here. Um, he's going to leave and I'm sure we're going to cover that in six months here on the show, but this is a big time in his career. I mean, here he is world champ. He's going to be headed in at a WrestleMania. People still talk about his match at WrestleMania the year before with Sean at WrestleMania 21 and his body's breaking down on him and he's become dependent on painkillers and he's been very open about that. How much of that was present and just you know, undeniable well, here in February. Well, it was peaking. It was, it was peaking out from under the covers. There was something going on, we, but we couldn't, but we didn't know definitively what we suspected, but we didn't know for sure. Uh, but you know, a guy that's trained so religiously and so rigorously for so many years, let's not forget, you know, go back to 96. He wins the gold medal in the Olympics with a broken friggin' neck as we've heard. And it's, it's true, but before that, uh, uh, Kurt was, a was the bull of the woods at Clarion university in division one, uh, amateur wrestling with that goes extensive training. And, and even though wrestling has a season, the great ones don't quit training. So his body has been pushed and prodded and twisted and all that stuff for years. So I think that was just a cumulative effect of his, uh, his overt training. I don't know of anybody that I signed that had that kind of training and that kind of background before we brought him in. I mean, you know, he's, he's an Olympian, right? He won it. So, uh, you know, I think that we kind of were aware that there may be some little dark cloud maybe moving in, but we weren't quite sure. And could we nip it in the bud? Could Kurt nip it in the bud? And it just came to the fact that, you know, I said many times on the show, that the number one trait you, that I always look for in signing a talent was reliability. And so when, when the, when that factors into your decision-making, the reliability aspect, you really got to take inventory. And I think Vince finally took the inventory and, and it just, uh, you know, I don't think it was the fact that Kurt wasn't making many money. He was, he was doing very well. He'd made a lot of money for WWE. And uh, I'm sure you'll talk about that on the, on this Sunday podcast, which is excellent by the way. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I, there was something not quite right, but it wasn't quite right vividly enough to have take or take the title back and get the title of somebody else that you could rely on more because they didn't have drug or, or alcohol type issues. Well, let's talk about the end of the show because believe it or not, this is not it. Um, SmackDown later in the week, we get Ray Mysterio to come out and address what happened at the pay-per-view. 
He walks slowly. He looks terribly sad. He starts apologizing to everyone for losing the mania title shot. He said, he feels like he's let everyone down and it's no one fault, no one's fault, but his own. And he sits the microphone down and starts to leave the ring. And wouldn't you know it, Teddy Long's theme song hits. And Teddy said, what happened to Ray was wrong with Randy Playa. cheating. There you go. Playa. Uh, and Teddy says the referee's decision is final. He can't take Randy Orton out of the match, but what he can do is add Ray to the match. So now Teddy has made the WrestleMania 22 match, a triple threat. So this brings on a whole new set of questions. You know, a few moments ago I asked. Hey, did they go with Randy because they just wanted to have a swerve bro and you couldn't call it or really all along was Vince not sold on Rey Mysterio, which is what fans have been led to believe for a long time that Vince didn't think he was believable, thought it was a size issue. Didn't think he was over enough, whatever, but he wasn't sold on Ray. So this is a, a way to squeeze another talent into that match to make it seem bigger. What say you? I think it made it a bigger attraction. I think Vince's issues array was one word size, right? And nowhere had the top guy in WWE been of race size that at least in my tenure there that began in 93, as I mentioned, uh, you know, all the champions were Ray was, would be the smallest world champion in the history of the company. I think that was Vince's unsettling decision, but to say, you know, was Ray over hell? Yeah. He was really over, right? His, his merch sales uh, showed that, you know, his, the, what you hear from the audience when he came out, you, you could tell that he was, people loved him. They cheer for the underdog. And, and I think that's why people cheered for, for uh, Tampa Bay at the Super Bowl. They were the fa- they were not, they were the underdog. They were a three or three and a half point underdog. So then all of a sudden you got the, the, the lovely Tom Brady story, the happy ending and all that stuff. Uh, so. Uh, you know, I, I just think that, uh, you know, Ray was over, but the size, his size was a tremendous issue, <clears throat> but I think enough people, uh, was providing positive feedback to Vince that, you know, it's worth a try because people are going to love the underdog because every match he goes in, even though he's the champion, he's the underdog, just you know, put him on the scale, so to speak. So I think that's what that was with Vince, but I think that that, so who you got in that triple threat match. Now you got Randy Ray and, um, who's the champion, Kurt Angle and Kurt. Yeah. Duh. Hello, Jr. Uh, that's why I shouldn't be on television. I can't remember shit apparently. Uh, but, but yeah, that it's hard to look at that match Conrad with that triple threat match and say, well, well, this won't be any good. Are you kidding? Well, those three guys, it's going to be great. So I think that's what I think the performance of that match and how, and the potential, how well that match could come out in the triple threats scenario was easy for anybody to see, but it was still not going to make race six, two and two Let's, uh, let's do some questions here. We got tons of questions online about this, by the way, if you want to ask a question for next week's show, you can just go find us on Twitter. It's at Jr. grilling. Uh, Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know how would Jim Ross have felt about Kurt angle ending the undertaker streak at WrestleMania 22. Let's say for instance, they save this match. They don't do it here to main event this pay-per-view instead. They save it for WrestleMania and Kurt angle comes out victorious. Would you have been for it? No, I, w- I was not for it when undertaker streak ended by Lesnar. 
not a knock on Brock. Just simply, I thought that was such a unique uh, calling card. It was so unique and special, all, all pointing to the biggest event of the year. So Undertaker's undefeated streak was always in place. It was always something for somebody to shoot for. It became an issue. So no, I would not have been for uh, beating the streak at that point in time. And and here we're talking on in 2021, in the month of February. I'm thinking I still wish he was undefeated. Right. But you know that's just my my point, my uh, point of view. So no, I would not have been for that. Uh, Jake wants to know, to your knowledge, was the plan always to get Randy involved in the mania match, uh, that Ray had earned at the Royal rumble. You know, I don't recall, uh, exactly, but I think that I, I, if I had to give you an answer and I will, I would say yes, because it was set up in good booking, you know, again, that's X, X, the uh, Eddie's and hell shit. Forget about it. Did they have a good match? Uh, did Randy and Ray have a good match? Absolutely. Did we believe Randy could have a, had a post a, a definitive threat to Kurt and to Ray in the triple threat match at WrestleMania? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think, uh, there's probably a thought in mind. It got Eddie, excuse me. It got Ray, uh, on the card in the main event level and it got Randy on the card in a main event level. So that's a win. And then of course you got your champion and Kurt angle. So, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I can't say for sure, but it would not surprise me if that wasn't the long-term plan of trying to elevate two guys in that one match at WrestleMania. Well, that's going to do it for this week, Jim. We are uh, fired up about next week, or at least I am. I like talking about the old stuff and boy, we're talking old stuff next week. Wrestle war 1991. Uh, man, it's fun to go back and visit the anniversary shows, but here we are 30 years later, uh, wrestle war 1991, uh, that one went down in uh, Phoenix, believe it or not, a WCW show in Phoenix in 91 on top. It's the four horsemen in a war games match taken on sting, Brian Pillman and the Steiner brothers. We've also got the Freebirds working with doom for the tag titles. Lex Luger is in there defending his U S title against Dan Spivey. We've got Stan Hansen and big van Vader and singles competition, Terry Taylor, working with the Z man, the young pistols taking on the Royal family, Dustin Rhodes, taking on buddy Landell, uh, Bobby Eaton working with Brad Armstrong. And how about this junkyard dog, Tommy rich and Ricky Morton on one side, big cat and state patrol on the other Boy, There's a little bit of something for everybody and even stuff for nobody. Uh, it's wrestle war 1991. I'm excited to talk about it, but I wanted to close today's show talking about somebody that you were close to for a long time. We've lost the natural butch Reed. Uh, he was in Cowboys old territory. You had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with him, not only there, but in WCW. I just wanted to give you a few minutes here to talk about your old pal, butch. Well, butch is a dandy. You know, he was, a. I, I, I said to somebody the other day that he had a legitimate linebackers mentality. And ironically, that's what he played in high school and college. He went to college at, uh, Northeast Oklahoma, a and M they called it back then. It's a junior college in Miami, Oklahoma, in the Northeast corner of the state. And, uh, he was, a uh, highly regarded, uh, recognized, honored, uh, linebacker on a really good junior college team that it was at school where a lot of the big schools would send talents, players, 
instead of redshirting them in their programs, a different ball game there is today. Uh, they sent them to JUCO because in JUCO uh, they could get some playing time, and uh, and Butch certainly did that. It was a star at NEO. I think he went to Central Missouri State after that because Butch is from uh, Warrensburg, I think, or somewhere in that neck, neck of the woods, Missouri. So he was always a great athlete, which made him a favorite to Cowboy and, and Ernie Ladd, tough guy. And in that territory in those days, you had to have a set of nuts to be a, a real good heel because you're going to get heat on you and you'll get the right kind of heat. And sometimes you're going to have to defend yourself uh, getting from the ring back to your, to your locker room. Uh, and I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, but the fans in that era certainly looked at wrestling a little differently than they do now where heels actually had <clears throat> heat where I wanted to see you get your ass whipped. That's not as prevalent today as I think a lot of us would like, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Butch, uh, fit the road perfectly. He was a great heel, not a good heel. Butch Reed was a great heel. I know his, uh, he, he was worked under Bruce, uh, uh, as first name Bruce, uh, for, for ever. And then he came to mid South. I think from Florida, but I'm not hundred percent sure. Uh, but Eddie Graham and, and cowboy had a real good working relationship with cowboy being one of, uh, Eddie's students and, uh, in the, and a former booker for Eddie in Florida. So, uh, he got the name hacksaw butch Reed in, uh, in mid South. I think cowboy and Ernie Ladd may, may have done that. I can't remember if Ernie, I think Ernie was there then. I know cowboy was, uh, so that's where he got the name. I thought the biggest mistake we made in Mid-South was when JYD bolted to go to WWE, WWF at that time, with no notice, uh, pulling up and leaving, that uh, Butch was our guy to take JYD's place if you want an alpha male African-American wrestler. People believed he was a tough, badass dude. So you, all you got to do is get somebody to turn on him, some, uh, some heel or a faction of heels, and you got your guy. Instead, we went to, we, Cowboy had Ernie and, and anybody else was involved in the booking equation to contact every uh, unbooked uh, African-American male wrestler they could find to see if we could find the answer to take uh, JYD's place. I'm not so sure that was the right idea. We, it, JYD had to be replaced by another black man. Right. But that's, that's where it traveled. And that's what it was. Uh, but, you know, we tried... Uh, one of the funny stories we brought in, uh, Brickhouse Brown, who passed away a year or two ago, uh, really muscled up a smaller guy, but you know, good hand. Uh, and we brought him in as one of the guys, uh, George Wells was another, and I think, uh, uh, what was the kid's name from Memphis, uh, sand or snowman. Uh, th- those are three I can think of that, uh, kept, well, we, we gave a shot to. Uh, Butch was the answer, but we had, we brought in Brickhouse Brown and I remember Joel Watts was, uh, I think in charge of getting him to TV and at the hotel. And so we could talk to him, but there's one little sticking point. None of us, Bill or Ernie or myself or Joel knew Brickhouse's real name. Mm. So then we go to our t- well, meeting in the morning at the hotel and Cowboy says, is that, is a brick house here? And, and of course, Joel said, well, he's supposed to be, which did not set well with the cowboy. Right. You, you don't know. So we'll go find out who's checked in. 
so Joel gets to the, the counter and he, he realizes he doesn't know his name. So, uh, in a, in a few minutes, we hear on this loudspeaker, like you would use for a fire drill or something. <laughs> it said, Brickhouse Brown, please report to the front desk. Oh, my That's God. Brickhouse Brown. <laughs> my God. Oh, Ernie, Ernie sunk in his chair. That's hard to do. You're 6'9", 300 pounds. Cowboy was fuming because he just looked at this. We had to have this fixed. We had to have uh, uh, an alpha male a uh, st- strong positioned black man to take JYD's place. So I just, I'll never forget that. I mean, I, I laughed and I didn't get a, I didn't cowboy did not appreciate my laughing, but I thought it was funny. Brickhouse Brown, please report to the front desk. That's Brickhouse Brown. <laughs> so, uh, and his name was C- Fred Seawright, by the way, you're keeping score at home. And, you know, Brickhouse came in worked hard, but it, it didn't get over. Butch was the guy. Butch was the guy that we should have gone right to get a shot. We had a lot of good heels. They could have ganged up on Butch. Butch could have, you know, it wasn't the fact he turned his personality 100, 180. Just the fact that, you know, he's going to defend himself and he's going to defend himself against all these villains, which would, uh, by nature, make Butch a quasi or de facto baby face. Right. Then in, then in time, he would have gotten over as a baby face. Uh, you know, he'd have more reasons and all this stuff. But Butch was really good. You know, somebody was telling me, I had a conversation with somebody the other day after Butch passed away that, you know, one of the best matches they ever saw was Butch Reed in Florida against, uh, against Nate. Yeah. It was Dave Meltzer. Dave Meltzer said it was one of the best matches he ever saw. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's where I read it. I'm not sure, but nonetheless, it was a good, <clears throat> uh, Butch could work with anybody and, 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 and Flair was the highest of the highest level. And they had a, they had a great contest. They had a great outing, but we saw that plenty of times in, uh, in mid South. And the thing about it too, Butch was so good that in that era, JYD's conditioning, uh, he got lax. He got a little lack, lackadaisical, unmotivated. And he, you know, the money was great and he was making a lot of it more than anybody else. So he, he, it took the eye of the tiger away from him a little bit. He wasn't working out as much. You know, we had the late Pee Wee Anderson, the referee, Randy Anderson, uh, carrying a big bag of coins around with him when they travel so that uh, Pee Wee could run to after they, they got the munchies uh, on 420 day, which was every day for them. Uh, they would, uh, he'd have coins to go to the concession stand or the, the little, little, not the concession stand, but you know, the, the, the machine, the yeah. vending machine. Yeah. And buying candy bars. So he's loading up on candy bars at night and just, you know, getting bigger and bigger. So the point of this, this little situation I'm telling you is the fact that Butch still persevered, worked his ass off to get JYD off his ass. And that was a task. It wasn't easy. So, uh, Butch was a team guy, you know, uh, I loved his uh, work ethic. I remember vividly the time he got in a fight in Oklahoma city, you know, back in the day we'd do TV on, we'd do TV in Tulsa every other Sunday night at the assembly center, civic center, whatever. And, but earlier that day at two o'clock, we had an afternoon show in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma city to Tulsa was a hundred miles. Still is by the way. Uh, they haven't changed the <laughs> map. I don't think it's still a hundred miles, but there's a 75 mile an hour speed limit on, on a Turner turnpike. So consequently you could get to Tulsa in a little over an hour, 
you know, hour and a half. So it didn't stretch. The show was over at four o'clock. TV taping started at seven and on Sunday nights in Tulsa. So they had plenty of time to get there. And no, I don't remember anybody ever being really late. You know, we knew who was going to go on last and all that good stuff. So we could time things as far as the TV show was concerned, but they had a cushion there to get to, to, to Tulsa on time. <clears throat> so in Oklahoma city, uh, John Nord, Nord, the barbarian and other names, but John Nord, big, big rugged guy looked good. He and Butch got into a fight backstage and, uh, beat the shit out of each other. So when they got to Tulsa, their faces were bruised and had black eyes and busted lips. And they looked like they'd been in a fight. So, and so cowboy and cowboy's own inimitable way, Conrad made them fight again to finish it and get it out, quote unquote, get it out of their system. The last thing they wanted to do, their hands were hurting. Their faces were hurting. They, they, they had been in a legit fight and cowboy wanted to fight again. He said, or you can shake hands and commit that this is an issue that is a dead issue will never happen again. And we're done with it. So either way, finish your fight or admit you both screwed up and you, and you're cause you could have, what if I have both of you guys on a TV show tonight. So what if you couldn't have wrestled cause right. you, you beat the shit out of each other for no money uh, with no audience. So, uh, that was Cowboys deal and Butch and, and quite frankly, Butch and Nord were both ready to fight again. They just, they're so sore. You know, we don't think about how, how, you know, somebody's hands get messed up fighting in that regard. You know, they didn't have any tape on any gloves. Right. So they're just sore as shit. And, uh, and, and I just thought Cowboy made it, <laughs> made an interesting, uh, made an interesting, uh, call there. But here's the good, the good news is, is that. He laid the, he laid the law down. They understood what the law was. They never had any more issues. So they got it out of their system, but that was a bill and, and, and his mindset. But, uh, this shows you also the toughness of Butch. Butch was ready to fight Nord again if necessary, but John Nord's a big guy. You remember Conrad, how big he was. He's 300 pounds, six, five or so. He's a big monster. So they were beating the hell out. They were hammering each other flesh on flesh. And, uh, it, and the flesh don't win on this one. So Butch was a great guy. I like Butch. He was a cowboy at heart. He trained horses, rode horses, did a little rodeo. I think he was a bulldogger, steer wrestler, whatever your vernacular may dictate. So, and he trained, uh, you know, he broke horses and all that stuff. I saw him. The last time I saw Butch was at a signing co connected to WrestleMania, I think. I want to think it was in, uh, I want to think it was in the, the Meadowlands, the, that Meadowlands, uh, WrestleMania, but I'm not positive, but the last time I saw him was at a signing and, you know, he looked in good shape, you know, had that little grin on his face as he always had a little mischievous grin, but, uh, we had a great time reminiscing, telling stories and, you know, uh, just, just a he perfect heel, perfect heel. If you get a chance to watch him, folks, you know, I'm not talking about the, the natural thing where he blonde, his hair was bleached blonde. Well, that's okay. I'm not knocking it, but it's just what my cup of tea. But watch his work in Mid-South if you can find it. Uh, and it's on, I'm not sure it's on WWE Network. Yeah, we've watched you, some you of his did. sold stuff there. And we just talked about Doom just last week when we talked about Ron Simmons. 
he was great in WCW too, man. Yeah, he was, he was. So, uh, Butch was a, was a player. He was a player. I, I, I know he's, uh, he had, he apparently had late diagnosed heart issues and, uh, you know, that's the thing about the boys sometimes, you know, I, I got down to Jacksonville a few weeks ago when I was home and I'm thinking, look, you know, you're 69 years old now. So somewhere along the way, you got to review your whole card about your doctors and your medicines and all that stuff. So I go to the doctor, I go to the Jacksonville Jaguars team doctor now is now my new doctor. He's an internist and an orthopedic guy. I don't need any orthopedic work, but I do need to make sure, you know, I had to go through all the stuff, get my, all my blood checked and all that stuff, which is extremely important for any of us listening. Uh, to get your blood work done once a year and it, it can take they can test your in that test you can take you test your your heart your cholesterol you know i'm diabetic too so you can check on all those levels and come to find out that uh i uh have a uh i had to have all my medicines changed every single one of them because i found myself having the same prescription to the same meds for well over a decade, Oh wow! well over a decade and doctors sometimes don't pay attention. You know, I, I was prescribed Ambien, which is a sleep aid cause I was sleep apnea was like killing me, uh, before I got diagnosed, I couldn't sleep at night, uh, hardly at all because I wasn't breathing good. So anyway, I get all of my medical work done and I get all my scripts changed through my new doctor, which is great. And all of it's an improvement. It's going to help my health. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to feel better. All this good stuff. Not that I haven't been feeling well. I've been feeling great. So I think wrestlers, you know, I didn't want to go get the blood work done, Conrad. I didn't, I wasn't motivated to go get it done, but I knew from my own well-being, I needed to check my damn stuff here. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of the boys, including a Butch Reed, who was outside of medical plan, who probably didn't have any insurance to speak of, uh, they don't, they don't get it done because of the effort and the time and the cost. Uh, so I, I'm, uh, I think probably Butcher could be a victim of that where he didn't check, uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't get his blood work checked. He didn't get his, he didn't have a physical or if so they would have discovered this heart issue then instead of waiting until the inevitable of a heart attack. And I think he had multiple heart attacks, uh, that put him down. He's a, he was a stud boy, probably took two heart attacks to get him down. But that was the issue. I think a lot of the guys, I worry about a lot of the wrestlers who had, who had a run somewhere. They're a WWE guy. They're some, they're somewhere else, a Crockett guy, whatever it may be. You wonder how many, how often they, they check their, their work, their blood work. And Conrad, that's just a, that's just being irresponsible to your family, yourself, your friends, everybody. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if Butch didn't fall in that category, but it's something for us to think about going forward when we hear all these wrestling deaths. You know, it's like somebody saying, uh, and Conrad, you and I both are sleep apnea guys. Uh, somebody saying, well, you know, he died peacefully in his sleep. No bullshit. I don't want to die peacefully in my sleep. Right. I just don't. And, and I want to, and I wear the mask and I, you know, it's the best thing I ever did for my, myself because I sleep now and I breathe all night. It's good. It put the strain on my heart where I'm going to have a heart attack. So I, that's kind of where I think Butch was. He fell in that category where, you know. The cost of medicine, the cost of the procedures, he couldn't afford. And that's a shame. It is. I, I, I'm, I'm this kind of guy. If Butch Reed had called me on the phone, Conrad, I swear to God, this is the truth. 
if Butch Reed would call me on the phone and says, hey, uh, uh, Jimmy, that's what he called me. Jimmy, I'm going to, I need some help. I got to, I got to get some medical work done. I don't have any money. Well, what do you need to do, Butch? I need to get some, my blood work done. Let's find out where I am. Okay. Find out how much it is. And I'll send you a check. That easy. I'd have helped him. But proud guys like that don't want to admit weakness in any shape, form or fashion. That's right. Speaks back to the fact that baby faces don't submit. Well, in the old days, that was true, as we, as we pointed out. It's not necessarily that way now, especially if the, if the hold, the finish hold, the submission hold is over. It's not a disgrace. And if the announcers are worth a shit, uh, worth their salt, whatever, then they're going to make sure they cover their, this guy's ass that he got caught in a, mm. a situation that he could not deal with. You see the, you know, get your arm broke or whatever, or tap. And sometimes you got to live to fight another day. So, but Butch is a dandy. He was a good one. Hall of Fame level guy. I'm sure. I don't know if you'll ever make the Hall of Fame in WWE. Uh, I doubt it for whatever reason. I'm not sure why I think that, but I do. Uh, he, he would have had a better chance going in if he was still alive for whatever reason that is. It all affects the TV show. So the Hall of Fame is really a tele- television event. It's not really the. It's not really what you, it's not like the NFL hall of fame where you, you know, it's a big celebratory thing and promoted very well. And it's an honor and all that good stuff. It just seems like it lost a little luster in the entertainment side of the WWE hall of fame, which I've been a member of since 2007. So I'm not bitching at the WWE hall of fame. It sounds like I am, but it's just a different positioning. It's a part of a TV show and to have a, Posthumous uh, guests or posthumous inductees is not the, the the lay of the land as far as Vince is concerned. Well, we hope that uh, everybody goes and fires up the WWE Network and relive some of Butch's great moments in the ring. You heard Jim recommend the old stuff from uh, Bill Watts territory, Mid-South. I can't recommend that enough. I myself overdosed on a little bit of Doom material. I love that era of WCW, and that's what we're going to be talking about next week when we're talking Wrestle War 1991. Uh, and don't forget, even though football is over, grilling season is still wide open. Tell them what they need to do, Jim. Amen, brother. Uh, well, jrsbbq.com is uh, my website, and uh, business has been very good. I'm very blessed. It's been good. I really appreciate everybody that's ordering our products. Online, you know, we, we get these questions all the time about, you know, can, when are you going to ship to, uh, you, when are you going to offer it in England, the UK in general, or Canada? You know, we don't have anything to do with the shipping issues. Some countries are more lenient than others. Uh, but I know at one time trying to get beef jerky, believe it or not, into England was a major issue. This wasn't going to happen. They confiscated it. So uh, little issues like that we're still working through, but... Uh, for the vast, vast majority of folks that want to uh, order some stuff from our site, uh, we're, we're good. You know, we had 70 orders uh, yesterday as we record this, and uh, that's a real good day for us. You know, we're working hard to make sure our customer service is perfect. But we got my mother's original recipe, Jared's original barbecue sauce, the hot version of the barbecue sauce. It's not Tabasco hot, but it's just spicy. Uh, and, and someday I may make something more hotter, you know, who knows? We'll check that out. But the chipotle ketchup is great on anything you'd normally use ketchup on from meatloaf to eggs to whatever it may be. I warm a little bit of our, uh, 
uh, chipotle ketchup, Conrad, in a little bowl. Or if you was at a restaurant, like a little ramekin, a little small little bowl. And I use it for steak sauce sometimes. It's great. It reminds me a little bit of the Peter Luger steak sauce. It's thicker. It's got a little body to it. And uh, it's really good. And then, of course, the, the two things that have, have uh, are elevated to really superstar status is our mustard, which has, I think, one or two grams of sugar in it. It's a high-level, high expensive uh, honey mustard with jalapeno mash. So it's got a little spice to it, a little personality, I'd like to say. But, boy, it's so versatile and great on sandwiches or, you know, uh, deviled eggs. Gosh almighty, there's a million ways to use the mustard. I, I've talked about this before, about using the mustard on salmon on the grill. And when, the, when you're, you, turn your, you turn your salmon the last time and – so you, you get that little mustard out and you do a little squirt of the uh, mustard on the salmon. And it's fantastic. Fantastic. So, and then, of course, uh, I leave out maybe the star of the whole show is the seasoning. I know you're a big seasoning uh, yep. proponent. You've always been a fan of it. And, I, you know, I appreciate that. I uh, appreciate all the things you do for me. And, uh, but the, the seasoning is money. I mean, as simple as I can put it. It fits on so many things. And I'm getting so much on Twitter at JRSBBQ Pictures. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday, we got a ton of pictures of folks using our stuff to cook with. You know, we'll have uh, all kinds of, we have all kinds of specials almost every day. We have something. And as I said before, Connie, it just doesn't cost anything to look. So check out JRSBBQ.com. See if there's a special in there that, that, that uh, you know, interests you. And the one way that you can help do that is sign up, uh, uh, you know, sign in for the, our website, uh, get on the mailing list. I'm trying to say, we don't sell those lists. We don't use them for anything, but to promote our product, it's not a daily thing, but if you sign up to the uh, website, uh, and the mailing list, you will get all the specials before anybody else. You'll know what they are and all that good stuff. So business has been good. You know, it's just for me, guys like you and I, that like to grill, that like to go outside and cook, even in inclement weather, it's 28 degrees here today. And I'm cooking burgers later. <laughs> I am. I, you know, it's, you know, how do you do that? Oh, here's a simple, it's a secret. Don't tell anybody. I wear a fucking coat. God, that's what I do. I go outside with my coat on and I put my burgers on the grill and off we go. So that's what I'm doing today. I'm cooking some burgers today and, and, uh, and it's even though it's colder than hell. So it's always grilling season in my world. And I hope that's grilling season in your world, folks, too, as much as you can. But we really do appreciate your business. It's a family project. Uh, every time I send, we send the case out, I, I think that Mom and, and, and Jan are looking down. They're happy that people like their stuff. And so that's kind of where we are. So I appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about it here. Uh, I know people don't tune into Grilling JR to hear, you know, me out these orders but none come on man we're hearing our friend talk about something that he cares about and something he loves i'll listen to that all day i appreciate it buddy so everything else is good man it's uh, all good i'm glad you we brought up butch uh that was cool I mean, he's going to be missed he kind of really got off the radar too you know when he got when he got out of wrestling he he kind of got out of wrestling and uh then all of a sudden we the next thing we hear from him is he's dead and that's not good it's not good at all. So, and uh, you know, they say these things come in threes. I hope not, but, uh, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, we'll have to see. He was, but he was a dandy. 
If you want to, if you're a pro wrestler and you listen to this show, and I know a lot of you do, uh, go check out some of his work because if, if you pick up one or two things that he did really well in, in, uh, in, in the, uh, process of being a villain, it, it, it'll, it'll help you. Even if you're a baby face, it'll help you because it might be something you can suggest to the heel you're working with to make your match better. A butcher's a dandy and, uh, I, he's going to be missed. I wish I'd kept it. You know, same old thing, Conrad. I wish I kept in better touch with him. You know, I was thinking today, uh, I don't know why I thought about him today. I don't know if it's a good or a bad open, but I'm probably going to call Bob Coddle today because I, I love him and he's, he's older. I think he's just celebrated his 60th wedding anniversary or something like that. So, uh, God, 60 years for the same woman. Holy moly. Yeah. Bob, uh, Bob Coddle is, um, I'm not exactly sure how old he is myself, but I was just talking to Tony Schiavone the other day and he thinks that Bob is 90. Holy shit. Well, he may be, he may be. I know that he was one of the best broadcast partners I ever had without a doubt. And I've had some really good ones that kept me propped up over the years, but Bob was one of the most enjoyable guys to ever work with. He was never late when we we're going to meet somewhere to drive to a town. He was never late. Uh, he was always, uh, he always enjoyed us having lunch together on those days. And we'd talk about that's like a, a two old women, I guess. I don't, now I'm sounding chauvinistic. But we'd talk about food. What do you want to eat today, Bob? I don't know. What are you in the mood for? Mm. Oh, I could eat a little Q. How about some Q today? So we'd, somewhere along the way, he said, well, I know this place over here in Raleigh. Or I know this place here between Raleigh and Fayetteville or whatever. So uh, but I love Bob. He's a treasure to our business. And if folks have not gotten uh, used to his work or heard, sampled his work uh, lately, you should. Especially, the, he did some great, great stuff. Uh, Conrad in the, uh, the mid Atlantic yep. when he was, the, when he was the anchor and here's a guy that comes in, I come into, uh, to mid Atlantic, Tony and, uh, David Crockett do the a show, the worldwide show syndication. So Crockett had one syndicated show in, in a territory, uh, place. It was worldwide. If they had two, you would add NWA pro. So Bob was the host of NWA pro did the play by play until I came in. And then Dusty and Jimmy wanted me to be the play-by-play guy. So Bob very professionally changed seats. He moved to the colored guy seat and the analyst seat. And he didn't say one word, just happy to be working and happy to have fun. So he was one of my most treasured partners. And there was some tumultuous times back in those days too, that he was really good to help me talk. He talked through a lot of stuff with me. And, uh, I'll never forget that. So I need to send him some sauce and stuff. I just, I sent him some here a while back and he loved it. So I got to keep him stocked up, you know, keep, take care of your buddies, take care of uh, anybody important to you. I hope that, uh, us talking a little bit at the end of the show about two people who are very important with you. One that we hope lives forever. And one who recently left us is a reminder that man, life is awfully short and it can be yep. very, very fragile and it's important to, uh, tell the people in your life that you love, that you love them and let them know how important they are. And if you want to celebrate Butch Reed's life, I haven't seen it yet as we're recording, but I know later this week, um, and probably by the time you hear this, Dave Meltzer will have an obituary report out about Butch Reed and man, Meltzer does a phenomenal job really digging deep on their career and telling some great stories, getting lots of quotes from people. I'm sure this Butch Reed piece he's working on, no doubt, is going to be an all-timer. 
yeah, and Butch has got that great history. And, and to be able to relive it, that's one of the beautiful things about pro wrestling. That's why sometimes I will mention non-AEW talents on uh, our, bro- our broadcast on Wednesday nights. Because to me, it's not taking a shot. It's not being negative. It's actually being very positive. I think one of the great things about being a wrestling fan is that we can all enjoy the history of the business and to leave out guys, you know, I'll see somebody do a hole that, uh, you know, I, I'm bad about, uh, using Buzz Sawyer, who was a hell of a heel as well. Uh, I use Buzz Sawyer a lot when I see somebody do a power slam because his power slam is the most memorable one that I recall. Right. It was executed amazingly well, physical, just almost nasty. So things like that, I don't, I don't do it to, for any other reason than to acknowledge our past. And, and the old saying goes, Conrad, if you don't understand your past, it's almost impossible to navigate your future. And I believe that that's true in pro wrestling, especially. And I think that, uh, I think that that's a, the fans want to be included. And as you, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, if it didn't happen to WWE, it didn't happen. And, and. I think that whole philosophy too is antiquated. You know, I just think it's antiquated. Somebody sent me a text or excuse me, a tweet or maybe hit me on Facebook. Hell, I don't know somewhere, some of the social media bullshit. And he said, they said, uh, I can't believe WWE edited all of your commentary out of the <laughs> soundbites for the Royal rumble. Of course they did. I said, well, yeah, that shouldn't surprise you. Right. Because it tells me that they're aware of AEW very prominently. Even though they won't, would, would not want to admit it, uh, as Triple H called us early on, the pissant organization or something like that. Yeah. And now this pissant organization is beating NXT, and we beat them sounding last week. So uh, anyway, I, I, I think that the, acknowledging the history of our business is important. No other broadcasters are really doing it, and I just think it's uh, wrong. So until Tony Khan tells me to stop, which he hasn't, he enjoys it as well. You understand he's a lifelong fan and, and a lot of those men, moments are, are, are crucial. I guarantee you, if we call Tony Khan and said, what's your favorite Bruce Reed match, Butch Reed match, he he's going to have one Yeah. or two. Yeah. And he's going to, and he, and all, he'll know all the damn details and it happened, you know, decades ago. Right. Cause he's, he's that much a student of the game, which is one of the reasons that I enjoy so much working with him is that he, he still loves pro wrestling. And, uh, and I'm glad that we can use pro wrestling on our, in our vernacular, as opposed to, uh, we're another sports entertainment, uh, entity. Well, boys and girls, we hope you've enjoyed our trip down memory lane for no way out 2006 and a little sidebar about butch Reed. We'll be back next week with wrestle war 1991. And of course you can get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. If you've got a question about wrestle war 91, it's easy to participate in our show. Just cruise over to Twitter and find at Jr. grilling. And if you want to talk to Jim or find out about more about his AEW ventures or sauce, you can hit him up at jrsbbq.com. I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Heavy on the Mr. Conrad and folks don't forget, tell your loved ones that you do love them because our tomorrows are not guaranteed. 
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.